may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Men should hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free. everyone. Take out your Bibles, turn to the book of Galatians. Take out your Bibles or your mobile devices. Galatians chapter 3, if you're using one of the Bibles you may have picked up when you came in, it's on page 470 this morning. As you just heard, we are continuing our series through the book of Galatians. We're going uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through uh, this exciting book of Galatians. We've titled the series, Freedom, Escaping the Bondage of Religion, because Jesus did not come to make us religious. He came to set us free. Amen. He came to set us free, and that's what we're talking about. Today's uh, message title is called Seems Right. Um, if you've been around the Bible for any length of time, you've probably heard this verse from Proverbs, and it goes like this. It's in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, and it says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Everybody say, seems right. There, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that maybe feels right, it maybe sounds right, it may look right, but the Bible says it may not be right. And so that's the problem that's going on here in the book of Galatians. Uh, Paul came to this region of Galatia, and he came to these people who were Gentiles, and they did not know God. As a matter of fact, they, they worshiped false gods and false idols. They were Gentiles, they were pagans. And he came and he preached the message of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came to this earth and he went to a cross, he died for our sins, to pay for our sins, to forgive our sins so we could have our relationship with God that was separated by sin restored. And all we have to do is accept that gift of Jesus' death on the cross by faith. It's just by grace through faith that we're saved. And all we have to do is accept that. It's not about anything we do or we don't do. And so the Galatians heard that message and they're like, that sounds awesome. We're in. We want that. That's, that's what we want. And many of us have experienced that gift. Amen? And that's what he offered them. And they accepted Christ. And everything was going good for a while. And then this other group of people came in called the Judaizers. And they were, they were Jewish people that said, you know, we're glad to hear that you accepted Christ. That's all cool. You know, we believe in Jesus too. But it's not enough just to accept Christ. If you really want to be saved, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to be right with God, you, you got to not only accept Jesus, but you got to keep the Old Testament law. Uh, you got you to do some works. You got to be religious. You, you got to have surgery called circumcision. And, and they're like, whoa, that, that's a little different than what Paul said. But they bought into that message and it sounded right. It seemed right and made sense to them. And so what happened was, rather than teaching relational truth about Jesus, these Judaizers taught religious lies. And they were trying to put uh, those believers in Galatia and those, those churches back into to religious bondage. And so Paul comes along and says, listen, that message may seem right, it may feel right and sound right, but it is not right. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end, it's the way of what, church? It's a way of death. And so that's what Paul is, is addressing in this book of Galatians. He's writing back to them to straighten them out on this message of the Judaizers that seemed right, but it was not right. I mean, have you ever had something in your life where you, you did something or you, you believed something that seemed right to you, but in the end it wasn't right? You ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Yeah. I, I think a common one is this, that if we do something bad, 
then maybe if we do something good, it'll cover up the bad. I really believed this when I, was, when I was growing up, when I was uh, very young. And this is a true story. When I was like in the second grade, I think it was about second grade, um, I, was, uh, I did something in school. I did something really bad. And I thought, you know, in order to make up for it, if I do something really good, then it'll cover up what I did that was bad. And maybe I won't get in as much trouble for what I did. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And so I was in second grade, true story. And uh, I haven't always been a pastor especially not in second grade. And what happened was, I, I said a bad word. I, I said a cuss word. Yeah, yeah. Now, it wasn't the really bad one. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. But it was a pretty bad one. I mean, it was up there like in the top two or three bad ones. And uh, what caused me to do this was, uh, y'all you, you remember Crayola crayons, you know? And you get like the box of like 200 different colors. And those were really cool. But when I was about second grade, Crayola came out with uh, Crayola markers. They were magic markers. And they were different colored markers. And so I, I thought those were awesome. And I was one of the first kids in my class to get the brand new Crayola colored markers. And so I brought them to class and everybody's like, ooh, you know, I was the cool kid with the cool new markers. And so everybody's looking at them. And now those of y'all that know me, you know, like are pretty close to me, know me personally, I am kind of a neat freak and I like to really take care of my stuff and I don't like it to get messed up. And if you come into my office, it usually looks pretty clean. You know, you go into some of the other guy's office and it's like a tornado hit and we won't mention anybody, Jerry Cruz. And anyway, so uh, anyway, that's another story. And so I, I was really particular about my markers, but all the kids wanted to borrow my markers. And so I had a really good friend. I'm like, well, if I'm going to let anybody borrow my markers, I'm going to let my, my really good friend. And so I let him borrow my markers and I'm like, don't mess them up. Be careful. And so he's like, got him out. He's doing the red and he's doing the yellow and he's doing the green. And then he grabs the black one and he does that one. And then he goes back to the red and green. And now the red and the green and the yellow lighter markers are all black. And so now they're all like this just nasty, yucky color. And I realize this, and I, I drop a cuss word right there in class. I, I mean, I'm just so upset. And the teacher hears me say it, and she calls me up. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I probably shouldn't tell you guys, but you cannot use this against me. Say, so I promise not to use this against my pastor. In grade school, I was not known as Doug Dameron. I was Dougie Dameron. My name was Dougie. Yeah, see, I started the original Dougie dance, you know, that thing. Just kidding. And so she's like, Dougie, come up here. So she calls me up to the desk, and she's like, I heard what you said. And she's like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write a note home to your parents, and I want you to tell them in that note what you said, and I want them to sign it, yeah, and bring it back the next day. And I'm like, oh, I'm in big trouble. I've done something bad. And so my mind said, well, wait a minute. I did something bad. If I do something good, maybe it will cover up for what I did bad, and I won't get in trouble for what I said. And so I wrote this letter. This is the truth. My, my mother, who's still alive, she's 83 years old. To this day, she still has this note. I think she carries it in her purse. No joke. This note. And here's how the note went that I wrote. Dear Mommy and Daddy... I love you so, 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 so very, 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 very much. You are the best mommy and daddy in the world. No son could ever have a better mommy and daddy. I mean, I poured it on. I went on and on. I mean, XO, XO, hearts. I did everything. Love always your favorite son and only son, Dougie. P.S. <laughs> I said, eh, at school today. 
And so I had my note ready. I'm like, this will work. And then I had an even better idea. I thought, you know what? Instead of taking this to my mom, I'm going to take it to my dad. Because my dad was a retired uh, Marine Corps gunny sergeant. He was familiar with curse words. I'm pretty sure I probably heard this word from him the first time. And I thought, there'll be some grace, there'll be some mercy. And, I, and that seemed right to me. That seemed like the thing. It seemed right. It sounded right. It felt right. And so I remember, I took the note to my dad. I remember he was out on the patio. He was away from my mom. It was perfect timing. I waited. He was grilling, I think, some hamburgers for the night. So I go outside. We're out on the patio. I give him the letter. He begins to read the letter. And he gets toward the end. He reads it all. And my dad's like... And he's doing everything not to burst into laughter. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to get away. This seemed right. It is right. I'm going to get away with this. And then, you know what he did? Go take this to your mother. I'm like, oh, no. And so I go and I take it. I give it to my mom. And and, and my mom reads it. And she gets, she's like, Dougie. And in 10 seconds, I had dial soap in my mouth. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I was a bar of soap. And so what seemed right to me to get out of being in trouble didn't end up being so right. And, and, and that's what happened in that story. Here, let me give you some beliefs. They're in your notes. Some beliefs that seem right, sound right, but may not be right in the spiritual realm. If I do something wrong, I should do something right. And that'll make up for it. That's what I thought as a kid. You know, like God's got this heavenly scale in heaven and, you know, he puts all our good on one side and our bad on one side. And as long as our good outweighs the bad, we're always in good standing with God and we're going to be okay. Here's another belief that seems right but may not be right. If I do something right, then I deserve something good. You know, as long as I do something right, God's going to ruin me and I'm going to get something good. You know, I ask people when I'm witnessing to them, you know, if you're standing at the gates of heaven and God said, why should I let you in? How would you answer that? What would you say? And that's kind of the question I, I always get to when I'm trying to lead somebody to faith in Christ. And most of the time when they don't know the right answer, biblically, they'll say something like this. Well, I've done more good, I hope, than bad. And, you know, when I get to heaven, I hope my good outweighs my bad. And, you know, I, I try to be a good person. I, I go to church. I've been baptized. You know, I, I, I'm a church member. My parents were religious. And they say things that seem right, but we know biblically are not right. They're not the right answer. And that's exactly what was going on in the book of Galatians. They were hearing a message that seemed right, that Jesus was a good start, but he wasn't enough. You had to keep the law. You had to do good works. You had to become a Jew and be circumcised. That sounded right. It seemed right. It felt right. And Paul hears about this, and he writes back this letter of Galatians, and he says, no, that may seem right, sound right, feel right, but it is not right. It will lead to death. It is not true. And that's, that's really everything that's going on in this letter. And so let's uh, read his verse 1 in chapter 3. As Paul, every chapter you jump into, the first three or four, he just comes out swinging. He is upset. He is mad about this. He is, he is really ticked off. And he says here in verse 1, Oh, foolish Galatians, are you so foolish? Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Paul's like, you've been bewitched by these Judaizers to believe this this teaching that's not true. You've been bewitched. Now, a lot of you, when you think of bewitched, you think of that old 70s show. I think we got a picture up there of a lady that wiggled her nose, okay? Well, it's kind of, that word kind of has to do with that. Bewitched is from the Greek word baskano, and it means to fascinate. It means to cast a spell upon somebody or to to control somebody with an evil eye. 
you know, kind of give them a look. And that's what these Judaizers did. After Paul left, they came in with this false message and they were kind of casting a spell on them and bewitching them into this idea that Jesus wasn't enough. That you, there still had to be some more things, some religion and some works and, and those things. And they did it with this bewitching look. And again, I told you about my dad who was a, a retired Marine Corps gunny sergeant. My dad was one that could just look at me. You know, I mean, he could correct me, punish me, and control me all with just a look, you know, I get, y'all have a parent like that, you just get that look, and you're like, oh, okay, okay, you know, and, and that's how he was with me, and that's what was happening with these Judaizers, they were, they were just controlling these new baby believers in Galatia with their message and with their, their look and, and to believing this message that seemed right, but it really wasn't right, and so Paul goes on in verse 2, and he says, this only I want to learn from you, he goes, I got a question for you guys. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, y'all work with me. Are you so foolish, he says? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect or right with God by the flesh, by what you do, by your works, your religion? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Paul's like, did I waste my time when I gave you the gospel? I don't think so. Therefore, he, God who supplies the Spirit to you and the works, miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of what, church? Hearing of faith. He's saying, are you trying to please God by faith? Or are you going back to works? They're trying to put you back into bondage of, of laws and rules and regulations and religion. And Paul's case that he makes over and over through the book of Galatians is you are either saved by grace through faith or you're saved by works and something you do. But it cannot be both. As soon as it starts to be works, it is no longer grace and faith. As soon as it's, it's grace and faith, it is no longer works. If you understand that, say yes. I mean, it's, it's law and grace are like oil and water. They don't mix. Either it's by faith in what Jesus did on the cross, or it's something we try to do. And Paul's like, it cannot be both. Now, in the rest of this chapter, Paul, masterfully, the, the way he writes, answers two very important doctrinal questions. Now, many times when we say, okay, we're going to teach you something doctrinal, sometimes people are like, oh, doctrinal, that's going to be kind of boring, that's not going to be any fun. Come on, make it practical. Doctrine means teaching. And it's really important that we study the doctrines of the Bible, not just the practical of the Bible, because what we believe affects the way we think, and the way we think affects the way that we live. Would you agree? And so Paul is going to straighten out some of our thinking and doctrine of the Bible with us and the Galatians, but it makes its way into our Christian lives, and so this is very practical. And he's going to answer two questions that have to do with the difference between our relationship with Jesus or religion of works and law? Law or grace? Bondage or freedom? Which is it? And he, he answers two very important questions. The first question he answers is this. How are we justified as a Christian? How are we justified before God? And number one, he's going to tell us this. And you have it in your notes. We are justified by faith in Jesus. We are justified by faith in Jesus. I want, I want you all to say this with me. All of you together. Let's participate, Okay. Say this, I am justified by faith in Jesus. Let's say it again. I am justified by faith in Jesus. Paul is answering the question, how are we justified? And he's going to tell us we're justified by faith in Jesus. Now, y'all just said that, but some of y'all are like, I don't even know what I just said. 
What is that justified? That's kind of a big Christian word. It's a a big Bible word, justified, justification. What does that mean? Well, if you don't learn anything else today, you're gonna learn what the word justified means, okay? And I'm gonna help you. Here's a great way to remember what the biblical word justified means. The word is justified, and it means just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Does that help you guys to remember that word? It's, it's a play on words, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. And Paul is letting us know here that we're right with God by faith, like we've never broken any of God's laws, like we've never sinned. We're justified, and that doesn't happen by the law and our works, it happens by our faith in Christ. And in that, wouldn't that be great to know that we're justified, just as if we'd never sinned? That there's a way to know that our past, present, and future sins have all been forgiven, And that is exactly what is offered freely through our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. And we are justified by our, say it church, by our faith. It's by our faith. Now faith is only as good as the object we put our faith in. I mean you could say you have faith in something, but is that object worthy of you having your faith in that? I mean, you know, if you go to the airport and you're going to get on an airplane to go somewhere, um, we're taking some of the guys, the team, we're leaving this afternoon. We're going to be going to Phoenix to a church plant conference uh, next week. We're going to be in Phoenix for four days and it's going to be 80 degrees and we're going to suffer for Jesus while we're there and uh, maybe pick up a Rockies game. And anyway, and uh, you know, we're going to get on that plane having faith that that plane is prepared We're going to have faith that that pilot is going to get us safely there. We're putting our faith in that. You know, you choose a doctor, a physician, based upon your faith that they're going to diagnose you properly and give you the right remedies. You know, sometimes we say we, you know, we have faith in the weatherman or woman. Probably not a real good idea. You know, may not be a good object. You know, we have faith in our government. Not. Okay. Here's the deal. The faith that makes us right with God, that justifies us, is the faith we put in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That's the faith we're talking about. Putting it in Jesus and what he did for us. And and a lot of times when I talk to people, they're like, well, I just don't know if I have enough faith. I don't know if my faith is big enough. You know, once I get enough faith, then I'll accept Jesus and I'll be okay. You, You remember what Jesus said one time to a group of people? He said, all it takes is childlike faith. Just the faith of a little child, just the innocence of that is enough in what he did on the cross to begin a relationship with God. It's just childlike faith. And don't you appreciate childlike faith? I mean, the innocence of a child. I've got an example for you. Um, We get uh, some interesting things sometimes in our offering buckets. Now, it's supposed to be for the giving of our offering to the Lord, but sometimes we get other things. And uh, I received this uh, in the offering bucket a uh, couple of weeks ago, and it was a letter, and you can kind of see the picture, you probably can't read the words, but I've got it here. It was a letter from a child that was in uh, one of our services, and I don't know who it was, they didn't put their name on it. If you saw your child make this, and you want to keep this or whatever, and you know, frame it, this was used at Orchard Church on a Sunday morning. You know, I'll, be, I'll give it to you. But listen to what it says, it's so cute, the faith of this child. And I think it's a little girl, but I'm not sure. It says this, dear God, my mommy says that you should love all animals because you made them. Do I have to love skunks and toads just because you do? (laughs) Then she goes on and says this, ask this question, is it okay if I just love dogs and cats more? And I would say, dogs, yes, cats, no. 
That's just me, just, just me, sorry, cat lovers, just throwing that. But you gotta love that, the faith of a little child, and that's what Paul is saying. You Galatians had the faith of a child, it, and that's all that it took for you to have the gift of salvation. And now these Judaizers are trying to tell you a message that seems right, sounds right, feels right, but it's not right, that it's more than that, that it's works, that it's law, that it's religion. And so Paul goes on talking about the importance of this faith, and look in verse six what he says. Now, he's going to use an illustration here. Now, remember, the Judaizers were Jews. They were Jews that said they believed in Jesus, but Jesus plus. And so, Paul is, is such a master in, in, in his approach here, in his defense of the faith. And he, sa- he goes, you know, I'm going to use the most famous Jew of all as an example that it's not by the law, it's by faith. And that would be Abraham. The first Jew, the, the, the man that God created the nation of Israel through. And so he uses their, their most famous hero to show that we're not saved by works or religion or law. We're saved by faith. And look what he does in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Another way to remember righteousness is the first word of righteousness, right. It makes us right with God. Abraham believed God and God accounted it to him for righteousness, that he was right with God. Therefore, know that only those who are of, help me church, faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify, there's that word again, justify, just as if we'd never sinned, God would justify the Gentiles by, by what? By faith, read it, by faith. Preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of, help me church, faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He's saying, you're saved and made right with God and justified the same way that Abraham, the first Jew was, and it was not by the law, it was not by works, it was not by religion, it was by, say it church, it was by faith. It was because he believed. And watch this. This is really cool. In verse 6, he said, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That word accounted is interesting that Paul uses. It it was accounted to him. It comes from the Greek word laguzomai. Laguzomai. And it means this, to deposit in one's account. To put something in one's account. Paul says, Abraham, before he had faith and, and before he believed, He was spiritually bankrupt. There was nothing in his spiritual account to make him right with God. But when he believed God, when he had faith in God, God put righteousness, made him right with God and justified him by his faith. And he turned him from being spiritually bankrupt to having all the riches that God has to offer spiritually. You you know, I'm reminded of this uh, I, I think I've shared this story before, but I want to share it again if I could. Uh, when Shelly and I were in Indiana uh, pastoring my first church, and uh, I mean, we, we were really struggling, and, and we were just barely making ends meet, and it was just tough, and, 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 and you know, we made it, but barely every month, you know, and we'd get by, and we had a water line break in our front yard. We'd bought a house that was like 50 years old, and everything started happening, and it was all we could afford at that time, and, and so, you know, we just trusted God, and, and this water line broke. We had a man in our church. He was a plumber. He came over, and he looked at it, and he said, yeah, you're going to have to have this repaired. He goes, I know a guy uh, that could come look at it and give, you know, get an estimate, and we got the estimate, and was going to be like 1000 1200 bucks, something like that. And uh, we were like, oh, we don't know how we're going to pay that. He's like, don't worry about it. You know, we'll, we'll just get it done. You've got to get it done. You're not going to have water. They'll set up a payment. They'll do something. Don't worry about it. And we're like, okay, we're worried, but we're trying not to worry. And so they come and they fix it. 
Make a long story short, the bill was even more. I think it was like, you know, $1,400, It was more than what it was even originally going to be. And so I, I tried to set up payments with the company, you know, to try to make it right and, and said, you know, we, we owe on this account. You know, we have a debt. Can you work with us? And, and they, here's what they said. They go, it's, it's already been paid for. The, the balance is zero. Somebody's already taken care of it. Somebody's already paid your bill. I found out it was my good friend in our church, this man, this, this, this really awesome man in our church, and I found out he's the one that paid the bill, and I went to him, and I was like, can I pay you back? You didn't need to do that. I said, let me give you some money, and he goes, listen, your money is no good with me. He said, your money's no good. It's already taken care of. It's already paid for, and so our bill was covered. You know, that's what Jesus did for us. Our spiritual bank account before we came to faith in Christ was empty. We were bankrupt. We didn't have a penny spiritually to our name, and there was nothing we could do about it. But when we put our faith and trust in what Jesus did on a cross, he put righteousness in our account because of what Jesus did for us. Yeah, we could celebrate that. Somebody wanted to clap. We could celebrate that. And you know what God says to us? When we want to try to pay our spiritual bill, you know what he says to us? He says, your spiritual money is no good. Your, your, your works are no good here. It's all about what my son did for you, and you can't add anything to it. You just have to accept the gift by grace, through faith. Jesus put righteousness in our account, and he justified us just as if we'd never sinned. And, and I know when we talk about the book of Galatians, it makes some people nervous because it sounds like Paul is saying, hey, because of your faith, you don't have to do anything for God anymore. You know, you don't have to do anything to please him. And, you know, you can live any way you want because all your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. No, see, that's the wrong attitude. It's, it's all about how we view it. Now, it's we don't live for God because we have to, but because we want to. But because we get to, because we realize what Jesus did on the cross to pay for our sins when we were spiritually bankrupt and we go, how can I not live for him? How can I not want to please him? And, and, we, and, and we spiritually live in a, in a different way. What seems right to so many people is if I want to be right with God and please God, I got to do this and this and this, and I can't do this and this and this, and it's all about law and it's all about works and it's all about religion. And Paul says, no. It's all about what Jesus did and our faith in that. How are we justified? We are justified by faith in Jesus, plus nothing. Number two, to answer that question, how are we justified? Paul says we are not justified by keeping the law. The Old Testament, we are not made right with God by keeping the law. That was what, the, what seemed and sounded right. That's what the Judaizers were saying. And Paul says there's no way. Look at verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in most things. Is that what it says? Some things? No, it says, cursed is everyone who does not continue in, say a church, all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, when we think about the law, God's Old Testament law, we usually think of the top ten list. You know, the Ten Commandments, the top ten. That's just the tip of the iceberg. There are over 613 Old Testament laws. Paul says, you think you're going to be right with God and justified by keeping all of those? Good luck. Good luck. Verse 11, but that no one is justified, there it is again, by the law in the sight of God is evident. Because the just live by what, church? By faith. Yet the law is not of faith. It's of works. But the man who does them shall live by them. He's under the curse and the bondage of them. Christ, verse 13, has redeemed us. He's purchased us from the curse of the law, 
having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's a reference to Jesus dying on a cross that was made out of a tree. That's what that is a reference to. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through our what, church? Through our faith. Paul says in verse 10, listen church, before we come to faith in Christ, whether we realize it or not, we may think we're living in freedom, we're not. We're living under a curse. That is the description of everyone before they come to faith in Christ. We're under the curse of the law. We're under the curse of our sin. And he says you stay under that curse unless you can keep all of the law. You, you gotta ace the test every time, all 613. You, you gotta never strike out Good luck doing that. 613 of those. Paul says, you, you think you could keep all, let, let's just be honest here. Let's take a little poll. How many of you all would say, honestly, I've probably broken at least one or two of those 613 laws at some point in my life. I probably have. Raise your hand. At some point, okay, I haven't always aced the test, okay? All right. How many of you say, I've never, ever broken one of God's laws? All 613, I've kept them all, all right? Any hands, okay? Any hands? I think I saw one go up being funny, okay? You just broke one of God's laws because you lied to all of us. You can't keep all of them. That's what Paul is saying, we're all under the curse. And the only way out is faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross. Listen, if we're justified by the law, we are all in big, big trouble. Yes, we're in big trouble. And yet these Judaizers were telling this message that seemed right. That Well, Jesus is a good start, but you need to keep the law now. And you need to do works now. And you need to be religious now. And you need to be circumcised now. And they were buying into this. And Paul's saying, you're crazy. There's no way it can be that because nobody can keep it. Now, the Judaizers argued something that Paul is going to address. They argued that the law, which came 430 years after Abraham had his faith that made him right with God and justification, it was 430 years later that Moses came on the scene, and through Moses, God gave the law. And so the Judaizers argued that, well, that faith thing, that grace thing, that was with Abraham until the law showed up, and then the law, you know, overruled the grace and the faith. The, the, the law canceled out that original promise that Abraham had. So Paul addresses that, and notice what he says in verse 15. <coughs> Excuse me. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. In other words, I'm going to give you a human example here, illustration. Though it is only a man's covenant... Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Paul, Paul's basically saying when two people come together and they make a covenant or an agreement, a third person cannot come along later and cancel the agreement two other people had. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's what he's saying here. And God made an agreement. God made a covenant and a promise with Abraham. And yet they're trying to say that the law came along and canceled it. And Paul's like, that doesn't make any sense. Verse 16, now to Abraham and to his seed, capital S-E-E-D, were the promises made. He does not say into seeds, small s, as many, but as of one. Now who's the seed? And to your seed, who is who? Christ. The seed is Christ. The promise was between God and Abraham that had to do with faith in the seed. And the seed is who, church? Christ. It's Jesus. And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later after this promise cannot annul or cancel the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ Jesus, that it should make the promise of no effect. 
For if the inheritance is of the law, then it's no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by what, church? By a promise. How many of you would agree that when God makes a promise, he's going to keep his promise? It can't be canceled out by anything. The law, Paul says, cannot cancel the promise of justification and righteousness by faith. One writer said it this way. You have it in your notes. The law does not contradict the promise by faith, but rather it cooperates with the promise in bringing us to Christ. The law doesn't contradict the promise, but it cooperates with the promise in that it brings us to Christ. There was this message that the Judaizers brought that seemed right, that it was about the law now, and it was about works and religion to be justified. And Paul says, no, you want to know the answer to the question, how are we justified just as if we've never sinned? How are we righteous? How are we made right with God? How are we saved? It's by faith in Jesus plus nothing. It's not by keeping the law. Then that brings up this question that the Judaizers go, well, then we've got a question. And it's a question that many of you have honestly asked already as we've started the book of Galatians. Then if, we're, then if we're not saved by the law, if we're not made right with God by the law, if we're not justified or made righteous by the law, then why in the world did God give us the Old Testament law in the first place? How many of you have wondered that question already in this Galatians series? Then why do we even have the law? You've wondered that? Raise your hand. It's up, be honest, okay? If nobody raises their hand, then we can just close up shop. Well, Paul's about to answer that question. Then why? Because the Judaizers were going, well, then why do we have the law? And Paul answers the second doctrinal question. Why the law? Look at what he says beginning in verse 19. He asks the question, what purpose then does the law serve? I know you're being challenged with that question. I'm going to answer it. It was added because of transgressions. That's another big word for sin or disobedience to God. Until... The seed, capital S-E-D, and who's the seed? It's Jesus. It was just added temporarily until the seed, Jesus, should come to whom the promise was made. And what was that promise? The promise of faith. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promise of God? In other words, is, is God contradicting himself? Because at one point he said it's a faith, but then he gives the law, so which one is it? And Paul's like, certainly not. He's not contradicting himself. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But there wasn't one. Because there were 613 that nobody could keep. But the scripture has confined us all under sin. Now watch this. That the promise by Faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who, what? Who believe, just like Abraham did. But before faith came, here we go. Here's why we have the law. But before faith came, before Jesus came, we were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Some of your Bibles might say schoolmaster. It was our tutor or schoolmaster to bring us to the law? No, to bring us to who? To bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under what? The tutor. We're no longer under the schoolmaster. And the schoolmaster or the tutor, Paul says, was what? It was the law. And Paul paints this incredible picture. If you can grab this, you'll understand why God gave the law. And to these people in the Roman Empire, the Galatians that Paul was writing to, they immediately knew what he was talking about. 
The word tutor comes from the Greek word pedagogos. Pedagogos. And it means this, a servant who takes children to school. Excuse me. In the wealthy Roman Empire, the wealthy families would have a pedagogos. They were called the pedagogos. We would call them like a tutor or schoolmaster. And what they would do is it was their responsibility to care for the children when they were very young and watch over them and help them and, and take them to school. They would actually make sure they were delivered safely to school and brought back from school. That was what the tutor, the pedagogos, was to to do until the child was old enough to take care of themselves and go to school on their own. They were temporary in their life. Do you see the picture that Paul is painting for us? He says the law was never meant to be permanent. It was a pedagogos. It was just to be temporary until it delivered us to Jesus when he comes and dies on the cross. And then we put our faith in that. The law was never intended to save, but it was intended to deliver us safely to our faith in Jesus and to get us there. It was there to show us and to teach us there's 613 of these babies. You cannot keep them. You need a savior. And then when the Savior arrived, we were delivered to Jesus and our faith and trust was put in him. Does that help, that picture? Paul just paints this awesome picture. Let me give it to you this way in your notes to kind of help wrap it up. Let me give you three key thoughts about the law and what we know to be true about the law. Where there is no law, there is no sin. Because sin is when we break God's law. So we had to have a law to know that we're sinners. The function of the law is to define sin. That was the purpose of the law. It was to... To let us know their sin and to to define it for us. Think of it this way. The the law is like a mirror. It's like a mirror. When you look into a mirror, and you you look into the mirror to find out, you know, is my face dirty, you know, my hair, do do I need to make some adjustments? So let's say you look into the mirror and you realize your face is dirty, you know, something's not right. Okay, do you wash your face with the mirror? No, the mirror is just there to reveal That something needs to be cleaned. Something needs attention. You grab a bar of soap. You grab some cleanser. The mirror just reveals the problem. The cleanser is what takes care of it. The law is a mirror. It lets us know that we have sin and that we're sinners. But the cleanser is not the mirror. It's not the law. It's the blood of Jesus. That's the cleanser. It's our faith in the blood of Jesus that takes away sins. That's what cleanses us. That's what makes us clean. You have this number three, the law cannot cure sin, but it leads us. It's the pedagogos. It leads us to Jesus, the cleanser, the one who does cleanse our sin. One writer said it this way, the law shows the sinner his guilt and grace shows him his forgiveness he can have in Christ. And his grace is enough. Would you agree? His grace is enough. Think of it this way and how this practically applies to our Christian life and how we should live our Christian life. You know, as parents, when your kids are very young, you know, you probably have some rules in your house. You maybe even post them, you know, like on the refrigerator, you know, these are the things we do and these are the things we don't do in our house. And your children, when they're small, they don't understand why, they don't get it and they whine and ah. And you, but your goal is that at some point your kids will grow to enough maturity that they stop following the rules and the regulations And they start following out of their relationship with mom and dad. They want to do right because they want to please mom and dad because they love mom and dad. Not just to keep some rules of do's and don'ts on the refrigerator. And you hope that, you know, when they're 16 and 18 
And then when they get out on their own, that they'll continue to apply some of those things in their life, not because of mom and dad's rules of do's and don'ts and Ten Commandments on the board, but because it works, it's right, it's helpful, it's, it's born out of relationship. You see how that applies to our Christian life? We should, we should follow God and his word, not because of keeping rules and regulations and do's and don'ts, not because we have to, but because we want to. And we grow in our maturity in that way. The law shows us we are sinners and we all need a savior. What seemed right to the Galatians was this crazy message of the Judaizers that Jesus was a good start, but he wasn't enough. You, you, you need to do some works now to please God, to be saved, to have eternal life. You, you, need, to, you need to be religious. You need to keep the law. You need to have a surgery, guys. And that seemed right and it sounded right but it was not right. And, and notice what Paul's closing comments are. After he's made his case, he, he closes with reminding him this in verse 26. He says, for you are, here's what is, he goes, listen, here's what is right. For you are all sons of God through, say it church, faith in Christ Jesus, period. Period. Faith in Christ Jesus, Period. Plus nothing. That's how you become a son of God. That's how you become a Christian, how you are saved, how you have eternal life, how you're right with God. It's faith in Jesus plus nothing. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is there neither Jew nor Greek. There is now neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are one in Christ Jesus. Aren't you thankful that what makes us one is Jesus and our relationship with him. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed now. And heirs according to the promise. And that promise did not have to do with the law. It had to do with faith. What seems right is that we must work for our salvation and work to please God and be religious. But Paul said, what is right is our faith. And I want to give you an illustration to close this morning. I hope you'll never forget to solidify in your heart and minds what is right and biblical and not what seems right and not what sounds right. Listen, this is important because 98% of all of the religions of the world will tell you if you want to be right with God, if you want to have eternal life, then you must do these things, you must not do these things. Am I right? Say yes. And yet the Bible says it's not about what you do or don't do, it's about what Jesus already did for you. And I want to show you a picture of what is right. Now, before we close, some of y'all have closed your Bible. You thought we were done because we filled in the last blank. Look at verse 13. Look at what Paul said. Galatians 3, 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. We were under the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that's a picture of Jesus going to an old rugged cross and becoming a curse for us. He took our curse upon himself because he knew there was nothing we could do to remove the curse and so he said I will become your curse that's why the Bible says in Romans that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be right made right with God we were under the curse of our sin under the curse of the law that we could not keep and Jesus said I'll tell you what I'm gonna do I'm gonna go to the cross and I'm gonna take the curse upon myself to take away your sins and all you have to do is put your faith and trust in me and that curse will be removed I know about you all, but I don't want to be under a curse, amen? And Jesus says, I'll, I'll remove the curse. 
Listen to how it says it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. It's going to be on the screen. It says that this is the spiritual condition that we were all in before faith in Christ. You were, what's the next word, church? Dead. I, can a dead person do any works? I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any do anything. That's right. You're dead. You can't do any works. You can't keep the law. He says you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature that had not yet been cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. Listen, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to bring dead people to life. That's what he did. And listen to what the verse 14 says in Colossians. He canceled the record of the charges against us. And he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Not only were we under a curse that we couldn't reverse, not only were we dead and there was nothing we could do to bring ourselves to life, the Bible says there was a record of the charges against us, a record of our sins, of our past, present, and future sins. There was a record. I happened to be able to go and get a record of mine from God this last week. And, and he gave me a list of my sins, and there's just a couple on here. And so I'm just going to read them as they're on here, just a, a record of, of, of some of my sins. Uh, here, here they go. Um, Doug has been known to have a lead foot while driving at times. Sorry, police officers in here. I'll be keeping a watch. There's, there's anybody else guilty of that sin? Yeah? Okay. Uh, here, here's another one. Uh, doesn't always complete home improvement, improvement projects to Shelley's liking. Another sin. I think that God talked to my wife on that one. And I have no idea how this one made it on the list uh, of the record of my sins. Continues to root for the Dallas Cowboys who are not God's team. I don't know where that came from, but that was on the list. Now, now here's the deal. Uh, it says in Colossians there was a record of charges against us that we couldn't do anything about. And I, I gave you a record of, of my sins. And, and I was able to ask God, I said, well, God, while you're at it, could, could I get a record of Pastor Barry's sins? And so I was also <laughs> able to obtain some of his that we don't have time to uh, go over this morning. So, um, but you all need to be praying for him, evidently. And you know what? We could have got a record of all of everyone's sins. But here's the deal. The Bible says we were under a curse. We couldn't reverse we were dead spiritually, and there was, you, how you bring yourself to life? We couldn't bring ourselves to life. And there was a record of our sins that was against us. But Jesus said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to take the record of your sins, and I'm going to nail them to the cross, and I'm going to remove your curse, and I'm going to bring you to life, and I'm going to forgive your sins, and I'm going to cancel out the record. That's what Jesus did. That's what he did. He said, I'm going to do that because I want you to be free. I want you to be redeemed. I want you to be forgiven. I want you to be saved. I want you to have eternal life. I want you to be in my family. I want you to be righteous. I want you to be justified. And it's not based on anything you or I do. It's a based upon the finished work of Jesus on that cross. And all we have to do is accept it by faith. It's a gift. We are no longer under the curse of law. We're no longer under the curse of sin. We've been set free by our faith. His grace is enough. Now you have a choice. You and I have a choice. The Galatians 
We're faced with a choice. Paul just keeps going. What's it going to be? Law or grace? Bondage or freedom? What's it going to be? We have a choice. We can continue to do and think about what seems right, that, that it's something that we've got to do to please God, some kind of work, some kind of law we keep, some kind of religion we follow. We can continue to think that way and what seems right, or we can accept what is right. And we can take God at his word. His word that says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of any works, lest anyone should boast. There's only one thing we can boast about, Paul said, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul's message to the Galatians and us is the same. We are justified by our faith in Jesus plus nothing. His grace is enough, and praise God for that.